Welcome to the Summit County HealthCast, a podcast to improve the health and wellness of residents in Summit County, Utah. Join us as we interview local experts, professionals, and more to provide you with the best health and wellness tips Summit County has to offer. Let's get started. everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Summit County HealthCast. I am here with a special guest today, Leon Evans, who is the president and CEO of the Center for Health Service Healthcare Services in San Antonio, Texas. Leon, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine, Derek. Thank you. You're going to be coming here in a couple weeks to speak at our Mental Wellness Solutions event. If people are listening to this ahead of time, why don't you give us a brief introduction and some background on the work that you've done? Okay, uh, I'd be happy to. Before I took this job, I was the director of the Texas Department of Mental Health and Retardations Community Service Division. I was over the public mental health system in Texas. In that job, I also worked with the health department and the criminal justice system and and other agencies and uh, I became painfully aware that there were so many people that uh, were so ill and so dysfunctional and many have co-occurring disorders, in other words mental illness and they're uh, self-medicating with alcohol and drugs because they don't get uh, diagnosed and we have high suicide rates and all those kinds of things that uh, it just dawned on me that we, there had to be another way to blend, braid and integrate federal, state and local dollars and also get different agencies to start working together much better than they have in the past to be able to identify these individuals who are very ill and sometimes treatment resistant, get them in treatment and make a difference in their lives. I've spent the last uh, 17 years uh, here at the Center for Healthcare Services in San Antonio trying to do that and I I think we've done very well because we have a, a broad community collaboration and we have lots of folks working together. I have some great outcomes I'd be more than willing to share with your audience. And we'll get into more about kind of Bexar County and some of the success you've seen in San Antonio. But one thing I wanted to ask before we get there is what got you into pursuing a career in mental health services in the first place? It's it's an interesting story. I went to the University of Oklahoma on on an athletic scholarship, and I was a business and finance major. And my sophomore year, there's a state hospital in Norman, Central State Hospital, they opened up a children's psychiatric unit. A young psychiatrist that opened that unit up uh, came to the Young Christian Athletes Association and asked for volunteers. And I was one of two people that volunteered and kind of fell in love uh, with working with those uh, uh, children and changed my major to psychology and special ed. So that was 1966. So I've been doing this a long time. And what are, just briefly, I know you mentioned this, but kind of some of the highlights and stepping stones you had before coming to San Antonio in the early 2000s? When I was the state director, I was uh, instrumental in working and getting us out of two federal lawsuits, one against the state hospitals here in Texas and the other against the state schools that serve people with intellectual disabilities. I also uh, was the leading force in converting all the state-operated community-based services over to local control, you know, having the community much more invested in making sure that there were good outcomes where the state was investing money. 
thirdly, we uh, met all the legislative budget board's requirements for community-based services in Texas, which you know improved our relationship with the Texas legislature and allowed us to get a little more money. And before that, I, I was the the CEO of the mental health system in Dallas, and I've, I've started uh, you know a couple of community mental health centers in, in Texas, and I kind of go on and on and on. I've been at this a long time. And I'm sure your experience really helped when you did get to San Antonio. So why don't you tell people, what was the situation, the atmosphere like when you got there regarding mental health and substance abuse? And what were some of the first steps that you began to take to begin to turn things around? When I got here, actually, this uh, local behavioral health authority was bankrupt at $6 million in the hole. Even though that uh, Texas is a non-union state, there was an employee union here at the center because the employees uh, hated working you know, for the center. The center had a very bad reputation. So I decided it'd kind of be my last hurrah to come here. And I wanted to work on some of these issues around the homeless. So the chronically and persistently homeless are people with mental illness and addiction disorders and usually co-occurring because of the lack of public services and the lack of, of state services when it comes to behavioral health. Public safety net uh, tends to be uh, the counties and the cities, and so a lot of these people inappropriately also end up in jail in uh, our emergency room, you know, also uh, are, are very costly in several different ways, and I'll be more than happy to talk about that. When I was the state director, I uh, paid for a couple pilots, one in East Texas and one in South Texas, to try to get uh, different agencies to work together to address, uh, you know, this this uh, population, and we spent quite a bit of money and hired consultants to develop community-based plans. But when it got down to actually operationalizing the plan, people said that's a great plan, but not with my money or my staff. What they're really impressed with is our community collaboration, and it sounds like uh, that's kind of what's happening in, in your community. Is you have a, a lot of community leaders and a lot of advocates who are coming together trying to address, you know, uh, issues around, uh, you know, can we find a better way to provide uh, hope and healing for uh, people that are very ill and, and uh, tend uh, not to end up in the right places, but end up in the wrong places. Uh, after all, our agency had a poor reputation. Everybody's always overworked and underfunded. People would have questioned my motives, so I went to the newly elected county judge, a guy named Nelson Wolf, who's still the county judge, and explain what I thought the problem was and ask him if he would champion this cause that, uh, you know, re re really the message was, would you make people come together and work on this? And, and he's very bright and he said, yes. He penned a letter, he got the mayor to co-sign it. So uh, we had our first little diversion committee, you know, uh, all the committee leaders showed up, put a uh, judge, Holly Jackson Spencer, who uh, did this, this uh, civil mental health commitments uh, here in Bear County, as the chair of that committee, and we would meet in her courtroom and once a month, and, and uh, so that's kind of how we got started. And the first thing we started doing is training law enforcement officers to recognize the signs and symptoms of mental illness and how to use de-escalation techniques. You know, if you're paranoid or hallucinating and somebody's in your face barking orders, the things go bad, people get hurt, officers get hurt, and the public gets hurt. And we see this a lot on, on TV. The next thing we did, you start uh, training uh, EMS and law enforcement officers and family members uh, about uh, these signs and symptoms. Uh, you have to have an alternative. So the next thing we did, as the community was open, our first little crisis unit up which has morphed uh, over the last few years into what we call a restoration center. And it's got a sobering unit, a detox unit, and a mental health crisis unit. You know, uh, to brag a little bit, 
our uh, homeless camp is down. We were down another 3% point time camp that happened in January, which brings us up to about an 88% reduction in the homeless in downtown San Antonio. There are a thousand empty beds in our county jail, and the number of people going to hospitals, emergency rooms, inappropriately, the MS runs and other stuff uh, are down over 50%. And we actually did the research with the med school here. Not these programs do work, but it does take the initiative and the goodwill of all the community come together to address these problems. Those are some impressive numbers that you shared there. Uh, just the one eighty-eight percent reduction in homeless numbers. That's something we don't deal with as much in Summit County, but definitely a challenge that they're trying to figure out how to answer down in Salt Lake. One other thing you mentioned uh, was that when you initially went to people, you had a lot that would say not my money or not my staff, even though I think this is a great idea. What were some other bigger challenges that you faced getting things going and how have things shifted since? It's, it's really the, the fact that we have a continuous quality improvement environment, so we keep a lot of data on almost everything that you can think around around crisis. We, we have this diversion committee I talked about. It's morphed into what we call the Medical Directors Roundtable. So we have 40 to 60 people showing up monthly, collect about 35 pages worth of outcome data on different places where, where people get interventions and get to treatment about things like, are we full? You know, are we on drive-by? Do people get re-hospitalized? Do people get re-arrested? But I can kind of go on and on and on, and, and I'll be more than willing to share that report uh, when I come to visit. The Affordable Health Care Act, or Obamacare, a lot of states didn't take the money, and some states did. Even just didn't make the money, but there are rules that were promulgated around that that affect states that didn't take the money. And one of the rules is a, a reduction, and your hospital administrators uh, there in your county will understand this very well. They got a reduction in you know what they call disproportionate share or uncompensated care. So they used to get money from the federal government to pay for people that show up in their emergency rooms and hospitals that were unfunded. In other words, they didn't have insurance, a way to pay for it. That that amount of money every year is shrunk quite a bit. Also, if you have hybrid readmission rates to hospitals, in other words, somebody goes in a hospital, comes back, and goes back in. That reaches a certain percent of readmissions. You lost five percent of your Medicare funding uh, this year, and last year and the year before, three percent. So there are actually hospitals all over the United States, more in rural and frontier areas than metropolitan areas. Although metropolitan areas are starting to suffer now, have actually closed or, or have downsized because of those two issues. So who, who are these people that are unfunded and going to hospitals and high, have high readmission rates? Whether for the top 10 diagnosis of behavioral health. Number two reason is schizophrenia, bipolar, major depression. The number three reason are the other mental illnesses, post-traumatic stress, eating disorders, anxiety disorders, phobias, you know, all those kinds of uh, disorders. Number seven is alcoholism, and number nine is the drug abuse. So the hospital systems are very interested in making sure that, that these, these people that tend to die very early but have these co-occurring disorders get treated because it improves the, the health of the entire community, but it also uh, helps their bottom line and helps the hospitals remain viable. So we have some hospitals showing up. Your EMS, your ambulance services, and your fire department probably make a lot of runs, and they can tell you who their high utilizers are. These people that can be over and over and over again. 
usually those are, are uh, individuals who also have mental illnesses or, or uh, co-occurring uh, you know, dis disorders. So very uh, interesting. Of course, law enforcement officers, they want to be able to not have to kind of wrangle and deal with these people that are ill over and over again. They'd rather see them. Uh, they'd rather chase the you know the bad guys rather than these uh, minor uh, instances with uh, people that are mentally ill or addicted. If you Google the uh, cost to taxpayers of the homeless, uh, you'll get see all kinds of studies. It's the, the cheapest I saw was thirty thousand dollars a year. They have lots of contact with law enforcement. They're in and out of jail. They're in and out of emergency rooms. People with a severe mental illness in the United States die at least twenty-five years sooner than the general population. And the reason they are is because many times they go undiagnosed, so they're self-medicating with alcohol and drugs. Their illness is so debilitating, they're, they're probably not working, so they don't have insurance, so they never get any primary care, early intervention, or disease management. People with addiction disorder smoke way over half the cigarettes that are smoked in the United States, and we know what that does to your heart and lungs. And many times they have very poor diets. So these people die very young. There are lots of studies on what they call disease burden. So which diseases are uh, actually causing the early deaths, lost productivity, and the highest in healthcare costs? Well, Bill Gates funded a unit at the University of Washington that looks at these diseases worldwide, and the National Institute of, of Health has too. And, and almost always four of to the top ten are behavioral health in, in nature. Finding a way to in, engage these people, get them into treatment, and treatment does work, then they can have uh, you know healthy and productive lives and not be uh, so uh, tortured because of their illness. Just from what you said, it would be hard for anyone to argue that these issues aren't things that we face nationwide and even worldwide. But I think what we come to next is the million dollar question. Do you think that what you guys have accomplished in San Antonio, do you think that model can be replicated anywhere in the United States successfully? Yes, I, I do. In fact, I, I do work with a lot of rural communities. Um, we just had Rapid City, South Dakota here again uh, last week. They uh, have a model that's similar. And what they've done is they kind of have a regional model and so they're, they're using uh, teleconferencing and telemedicine and uh, uh, other kinds of uh, techniques uh, where you have more desperate populations that are, are dense to be able to make sure people have access uh, to treatment and emergency services. So, yeah, your community can come together and come up with some very creative things that would work for you that wouldn't work in Salt Lake City and vice versa. That's definitely encouraging. Uh, news to hear. We're kind of at the point in the process. We did uh, just a little background for you. We did our kind of mental assessment survey last year about this time. We collected the data, presented the findings to County Council, Park City Council last fall, and now starting this year in winter and spring we've moved on to kind of implementation where we're forming these work groups to put together our plan and kind of follow through on what we've determined the strategic objectives are based on the assessment. What's the most important thing the Summit County Mental Wellness Alliance can implement or learn from what you did in San Antonio? Or maybe another way to phrase that, what's one thing that if you could go back and tell yourself when you were beginning work in San Antonio that you would tell yourself? That's a great question. Uh, I can tell you that I always tell uh, folks when I make these presentations across the United States that uh, we're an overnight 17-year success. 
And so uh, what I do encourage people is is to under-promise and over-deliver. And probably what I would uh, suggest, and you probably already done it in the study you said, is do a, a community assessment. So what are your problems? Uh, what are your local resources? Is there a way to uh, tie those things together? What, what are the things that are missing in your network of care, your system of care? What would you address first? That's kind of what we've done. We have this continuous quality improvement environment. Our community, we just keep adding the pieces that we see are missing over over a period of time. I'll give you a good example. When we first opened first low crisis unit up, Texas just doesn't fund alcohol and drug treatment. At that time, the only money that Texas legislature put in alcohol and drug treatment was to match the federal block grant from Samson Federal Subsidies Mental Health Administration, and most of that money was spent in prisons. When we open our first low mental health crisis, even though the biggest problem in our community is in any community that is alcohol drugs, it so happens a lot of people with mental illness are, you know, are, are using alcohol and drugs to self-medicate. And so uh, we had to, to basically tell everybody, don't be, bring, don't bring people to us that their primary diagnosis are alcohol and drugs. But we knew that was a huge problem, so uh, we never gave up on it. We put it on a parking lot, and we came coming back saying, we've got to find a way to start addressing these problems, and eventually we found a way uh, to do that, and we were able to open open up our, our uh, sobering and detox unit. That's one of the reasons we have such a huge reduction in the homeless and, and uh, a lot of these other programs is because of the, the addiction disorders associated with uh, all, all kinds of disabilities. What advice do you have for the different stakeholders? I know in San Antonio, you do a lot of work with the hospitals and the EMTs and the police force that you have there kind of have all come together and collaborated to help make this progress. So what advice do you have for different stakeholders who are coming at this from different angles on how they can work together and to solve this issue? Well, we also have, like the NAMI, the family members, uh, we also have consumer groups, so it's, it's, it's any and everybody who wants to be involved in this community collaborative is more than welcome, and, and we're very open to, you know, sharing what's working and not working, you know, getting partnerships. That's kind of the, the secret to, to all this is, is how you get everybody to work together, and right now, we track the things that make such a big difference in the health and in, in, in the well-being of our community, uh, that it also affects not only the safety net, but it also protects the taxpayers' dollars. And I'll give you an example. So your state's fairly conservative. Texas is very conservative. And the most conservative think tank in the United States is probably one in Austin, the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And they have this whole division called Right on Crime. And the Texas prison system actually pays for mental health and substance abuse treatment, not the mental health system. I have a contract with them. So they find these ill people who really shouldn't be in prison, and they put them on parole. And the condition of their parole is they got to see my psychiatrist, uh, make their medication, do their alcohol, screen it so ordered. But most uh, people on parole, the revocation rates three to five years out. In other words, uh, they get rearrested and go back to jail or prison is like 40 to 60% nationwide. Uh, if you have mental illness, it's a little bit higher. Here in Bear County, when you get treated, 
it's 6.6%. That's not my number. That's actually the number that comes uh, from a Texas criminal justice system that pays for mental health and substance abuse treatment. My point is, this treatment works, and if we were treating these people in the first place, they probably would have never come to the attention of law enforcement and wouldn't, wouldn't have done these uh, minor crimes, because they're not violent kind of crimes where they, they end up in jail and prison. Their early intervention prevention initiatives are, are very important. Besides that, like if you have a psychosis, every time you have a, a psychotic event, then it hurts your brain a little bit. So after a period of time, you not only have a mental illness, and you've probably been self-medicating with alcohol and drugs, which kind of hurts your brain too, but you have cognitive problems associated with, with your, uh, your uh, uh, psychotic disorders. So one of the initiatives we're trying to do here is first episode psychosis. So we're working with the, the public schools and family members and, and trying to get uh, younger people who have this first a, a psychotic episode in, into treatment. And that's difficult because what we hear about uh, when it comes to mental illness on TV or, or the newspapers or these horrid things, you know, the shooting in Newtown, uh, the shooting of the Congresswoman Giffords in uh, Arizona, go on and on and on, the, the shooting in Aurora, Arapahoe County, uh, Colorado. When a young person gets that first diagnosis, all they know is about mental illness is, is the, the horrific thing, and, and they run from their diagnosis because they say, no, that's not me. I'm, I'm not like that person who shot the congresswoman or, or uh, you know, shot these uh, children in, in Newtown. It's very important that we find ways to destigmatize mental illness and treatment. And, and in fact, all the science tells us that one in four of us have a diagnosable mental illness today. It's just the fact that most of us aren't diagnosed, so. Uh, we're unhappy, we're drinking too much, we're having problems with our families and our wives and our children or problems at work. And, uh, you know, this treatment stuff does work, but back to the right on crime. Texas actually shut down three because of that. Going through C-SPAN a couple months ago, there was this uh, uh, telecast, and it was uh, a guy named Mark Levin from this right on crime initiative uh, with the Texas uh, Foundation that I was telling you about. And uh, Nor uh, Grover Norquist, who's uh, the guy that, if you get elected to Congress and you're you're a conservative, you sign that t uh, pledge that you won't raise taxes. And the uh, gentleman that took Alderman's place, who started the the prison Christian group, and they were talking about the outcomes around treatment and the fact that people shouldn't have to go to jail in the first place; they should be treated. And so uh, there's a whole new initiative, whether you're conservative or liberal. There was a bill passed by Congress before uh, the first of the year that took Senator Cornyn from here, uh, Representative Murphy, who's a psychologist from Pennsylvania, and a lot of other people's bills, and it passed. Not all of it was funded, but you probably have uh, an opioid problem in your area. Yeah, so Congress did fund what they call the MAP, the Medicaid Medication Assistant Treatment. And so our state's going to get $27 million a year. I'm not sure about Utah, but you all get a big chunk of money for at least two years to be able to start addressing this. So there, there are medications like Vivitrol, which is not a substitute for heroin like methadone is. And once you're detoxed, uh, some states are actually uh, folks that are heroin addicts when they're coming out of jail or prison. And 
and this is not like Medicaid. You actually can use this this drug uh, for people coming out of jail or prison that were heroin addicts. When they release, that's the most significant time for relapses. Then, so this is an injectable drug. It's, it, it, it blocks the sensors in the pleasure center of your brain, so you actually don't get high. And the longer you maintain your sobriety, the better chance you have of not relapsing and, and going back to alcohol or drugs. And so uh, there, there will be new resources available, and uh, I would hope the, the folks in uh, Park City and in your county will be looking at uh, how they request that share for, for your community and how you use those dollars. So this treatment drug, I guess maybe you could call it that you take, when you're on it, it actually prevents you from feeling the effects of being on heroin. Was that correct? That's right. And, and alcohol also. Okay. Wow. That, that's definitely groundbreaking stuff. Moving forward now and kind of getting, getting, switching gears to wrapping up, looking at the national or even the global level kind of towards the future. What changes, either progress or regress, do you see coming to mental health and substance abuse in the next 10 years or so for our country as a whole? They used to say the 80s was the decade of the brain. I actually think it's now. There's so much research around the brain science with uh, not only the medications, but also the diagnosis. You know, they have imaging kinds of things where you can actually look at the brain. I was uh, on the stage with a, a guy that did the, the study for the NFL on brain concussions, and he did the brain hemorrhaging. But his presentation was about misdiagnosis of psychiatric, a bunch of brain images like of psychosis. And there's a certain part of your brain when you have a, a psychotic dis- disorder that tends to be either hot or cold, and it doesn't look like a normal brain. Or if you have major depression, there's a different part of your brain. That's that's either either overreacting or underreacting. So there there are ways to to uh, even do much better diagnosis. So you have you know a better treatment. There's a company called Ingenuity that you can actually uh, you know one one of the things you want to do is make sure that you have the right therapeutic dose uh, for your mental illness and you're not taking uh, drugs that you shouldn't take. This is your analysis that our doctors use that can tell if the person's actually getting the therapeutic dosage that they need to be able to deal with their disorder. And it also tells if they're taking medications that they shouldn't be taking. And I'll give you an example, example in one of our children's programs, one of the kids, uh, there, uh, when we did the, the test, when the doctor did the test, the medication wasn't showing up in, 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 the, in the kid's system at all. And come to find out the mother had been taking the, the kid's medication. And we would have never known that before. So we were able to get the mom uh, some help and get the kid the kind of therapeutic dosage that they needed so they're not over-medicated or under-medicated. So there's just so much science going on right now. And mental, mental disorders, you know, have very little to do with uh, whether your your parents love you or not or you're, you're a potty trainer, you're right, like we used to think in the 60s. Has a lot more to do with genetics and in your brain and, and brain science. And of course, there 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 are uh, situations like uh, children in child protective services who have been traumatized or abused that harms your brain, and uh, you need trauma-informed kinds of care and therapies to deal with that. So there are situational things that, that affect your mental health, you know, usually around depression and some other things. But generally speaking, 
uh, our brains are, are mysterious things and fairly fragile and you know it's it's no uh, uh, no disgrace to find out that uh, that you may have a, a predisposition for depression or something else and get treated for it just to wrap up now, what's the number one message you could give everyone in the U.S. or even in the world about mental health and substance abuse? Kind of the one thing that you wish everyone knew and could act on or just remember. Well, one thing, there's no health without mental health. If you just think about it, uh, Derek, I mean, uh, we're all terrified that we're going to have a stroke and we can't communicate with our loved ones or we're going to get Alzheimer's or we're not going to remember. So uh, these uh, mental illnesses kind of rob people of those, of those same, same kinds of abilities to interact with your loved ones and families and, and lead healthy and productive lives. Uh, everybody should understand there's no health without mental health. I mean, you just really can't enjoy your life and have a full life if, if you're struggling mentally. Uh, so that, was, that would be one thing that I w would want everybody to uh, understand. And the other thing is that treatment actually works. There's, uh, there's hope and there's healing uh, available. It uh, many times takes a community coming together to make sure that uh, you know, those of us that, that are suffering uh, have the ability to get the right services and the right care to have you know, uh, healthy and productive citizens. Leon, thank you so much for stopping by. And just as a reminder to everyone, Leon will be here as our keynote speaker for the Summit County Mental Wellness Solutions event, which is taking place on Friday, April 21st, 2017 at the Park City Hospital. And Leon will kick things off with his speech at 9 a.m. So we encourage everyone to come out and learn more and hear more about the San Antonio experience. Leon, thanks again, and we're looking forward to seeing you. Thank you, Derek. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Summit County HealthCast. For news, program information, and more, visit us at summitcountyhealth.org. Stay healthy, Summit County.